Today we're going to talk about the community uh, discipline of prayer. And remember, because we're doing this community disciplines, this is not an extensive study in prayer, an extensive study in worship. Obviously, those things take place on an individual level, and all of the topics, really, that we're going to cover um, do take place uh, on an individual level, but we're not trying to study those exhaustively. We're looking at them as it applies to a community discipline. So don't get, don't get frustrated. Um, we're just looking at the community piece. Is that good? Cool. Okay, let's pray, and then we will uh, we'll get started. God, thank you so much for today and the opportunity that we have to come and open your word. I pray that as we do, uh, your spirit would speak life, that you would speak truth, um, and that we would be available listeners. Uh, I, I pray for uh, our minds to be attentive to you, Holy Spirit, that uh, whatever you want to say and do, uh, that we would be listening uh, for your voice. Uh, I pray for those of us that came in here distracted. I pray that distraction would cease in the name of Jesus and that our attention would be focused um, on you. I pray that you would bring hope and healing and life as only you can bring uh, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so the first week, uh, first community discipline, we talked about fellowship. And the uh, group of believers, as we saw with the people of Israel, uh, are called out not for the purpose of exclusivity, but for the purpose of making God's, fame, uh, God's name famous in the nations, right? So uh, there is a calling out, and our fellowship, our togetherness, our love for one another is supposed to be uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's supposed to be a supernatural thing for the purpose of God's name being famous in the nations. And then we talked about worship. We actually spent two weeks on worship, and we looked at how worship is submission, that the heart of worship is submission. The first time, oh, here's a quiz. What is the context of the, what story does the word worship appear in for the first time in the scriptures? You remember? Abraham and Isaac, that's right. A few of you said it, Abraham and Isaac, that's right. And worship literally means, that word literally means to bow down. So it's a, it, worship is a statement of position before the Lord. It's the recognition, as Genesis 1-1 says, that he is God and, and we are not, and it's our posture uh, before him. We talked about how in Ephesians chapter 4, that worship is tied to being submitted to the Spirit, to being full of the Spirit, um, and that worship is not a selfish thing, that we uh, actually are filled with the Spirit and uh, participate as God fills others with the Spirit in worship. And so as it's important that we sing together. That's why we sing together. And so today we're going to talk about prayer. And we're going to talk about a couple of things with prayer, uh, really the why and the how. So why do we pray together? Why is it important? I mean, you, you think about any Christian meeting that you've probably been to. If you've been in church for, for a long time or even a short time, you've probably heard of some prayer meeting, Right? Some version of prayer. I just prayed. When we come together, we tend to pray. Well, why is that? Why do we do it? And then how do we do it? What, what are the mechanics of how we pray uh, together? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how we actually pray together and why it's important? For me, even studying this topic, I was kind of going, man, I don't know that I've really, really, really thought through a lot of the mechanics of why I pray the way that I do. Most of the reason is because I learned it from my, you know, growing up or whatever church environment I was in. That's why I pray the way that I do. That's what I've assumed prayer means. And so hopefully we're going uh, to learn more about that. So everybody stand up. 
That's right. You had that face on, and so everybody stand up. And this is my favorite question, and I don't know why it's my favorite question, but if you had to have uh, a sandwich, which sandwich would it be? And everybody's just going to shout it uh, on three. Your favorite sandwich. Ready? Oh, I know. This is tough. Not from, not from where, just, well, I guess it could be. Just your favorite sandwich on three. One, two, three. What? All right. Was that, did I just catch pepper jack cheese sandwich, or was it something with pepper jack cheese? Okay. <laughs> the rest of it got lost and everybody else. Okay, sit down. Good, good, good. Okay, so we're talking about prayer, the why and the how. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Surprise, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Have you guys memorized this passage yet? I'm just going to say it, and you guys are going to be able to just rattle it off here. We're going to just look at one little piece. Now, obviously, okay, just a little background in case you're not aware of why we go to Acts chapter 2 all the time. The basis for what we do in community, in life groups uh, particularly, is found in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. So we, we read those passages and, and went, okay, this is really scripturally the key to community. These are some of these fundamental points of community and life group. And so we've built uh, everything around um, this uh, this passage, but I want you to see something, and it's going to talk about prayer. That's why we're talking about prayer, the community disciplines. Look at verse 42. What's the third word? And they devoted. Is that third word up there? And they <laughs> devoted. Do what? And they, de- I'm counting that right. It's the third word. Oh, yours is, Okay. Depending, whatever, people, listen, it's, what's the word? And they devoted. What does that word mean? A little interaction, devoted. What does it mean? Okay, committed yourself. Does it sound like a discipline? If you're going to be devoted to something, I mean, think about something in your life that you're devoted to. Does it take commitment? Does it take discipline? Absolutely. Devotion, uh, it is, it's a serious thing. It's just, it didn't just happen. It says they devoted themselves. Now listen to what they devoted themselves to, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and what's the last one on that list? Prayer, right? So this was one of the community disciplines. It's something that they devoted themselves to. Now, when we're talking about this, we're not talking about just individualistically. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't individually devote themselves to prayer. They absolutely did, because nothing can happen corporately that doesn't first happen individually there can't be this room can't be devoted to prayer if you guys aren't first individually devoted to prayer does that make sense so if a group of people is going to be together devoting themselves to one thing it has to first trigger in the individual as something their heart goes after and so we know that based on that that these were a people who were devoted individually to prayer, but as an overflow of that, we're devoted in community to prayer. So that word devotion is important. They were devoted to prayer. It wasn't just something that happened. They were devoted to it. So what, do you, what, uh, what picture do you get when you think of corporate prayer? When you think of Christians coming together, when I say corporate, I just mean a group of people. Um, what kind of picture do you get? Just think about it. For, you don't have to say anything out loud. Just think about it for a second. When you, when you think about it, uh, what what comes into your mind when you think of a group of Christians praying? Probably uh, some of our ideas would be the same. 
Um, those of us that have maybe have similar church backgrounds would have somewhat of the same definition. Um, but, but some might think of something totally different. Um, there are so many different uh, ways that Christians pray uh, when they come together. I'm actually, uh, I have, I've joined the ranks of students and I have started school again. Can you believe that? What a mistake. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I'm terrified of it, actually. I haven't done school in many, 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 many years, and now everything is on the computer, and uh, that's a little nerve-wracking, but uh, anyway, I like to be in the classroom talking to somebody, as you can tell. I like to chat. Um, but anyway, I, one of the very first classes I'm, that I'm taking is, uh, it's, it's talking about the lifestyle of worship and prayer. And this guy, his, uh, his name is Paul Bradshaw. I'm going to leave, uh, read you a quote here in just a minute from the book I'm actually reading uh, but one of the first things I've had to study is the difference between um, what he calls cathedral uh, prayer and monastic prayer. Cathedral prayer being more uh, like everybody gets together um, and there's lots of, uh, lots of up and down, somewhat through a Catholic uh, viewpoint, uh, but a very, very, very rigid, uh, structured prayer. We all say the same things. We read from the same book, right? That's what some people think of when they think of uh, Christians coming together in prayer. And then others, uh, when you talk about monastic type prayer, it's, it's all individual based. We just come together. It's all individual based. The idea is for the believer to be constantly in prayer. And the only reason we actually come together is fuel for the individual prayer, right? So we have all different understandings, all different backgrounds on what corporate prayer is. The point is that it is important. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And what I want to show you is that I'm not sure that there is such thing in the body of Christ, that there is such thing as individual prayer, okay? I want to qualify that statement, but I'm not sure that there is uh, anything biblical uh, that tells us about uh, individual prayer. Now, does that mean that we never pray alone or never pray uh, just by ourselves? No, that's not true. Obviously, that happens, right? Obviously, you can go and be totally alone in a room and spend time in prayer, and that's a good discipline. But all Christian prayer is corporate. Listen to what, this is from that book I was telling you about. Paul Bradshaw, he's a uh, professor of liturgical studies at Notre Dame, and listen to what he says. He says, there is, strictly speaking, no such thing as private prayer for a Christian, Whenever we pray, we do so as a member of the body of Christ and united by the Spirit with the whole company of earth and heaven. We pray as the church and with the church. So are you in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? You guys there, look at verse 13. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into how many? One body. Jew or Greek, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. One of the things that happens as you become a believer is this miracle that happens. Is that as, as you become a believer, and as you are made new, as the old dies and the new comes, you come into this miraculous unity that God has created in the blood of his Son and by his Holy Spirit. You get filled with the same Holy Spirit as the believer next to you. We have, there is not another example like it on the earth for the unity that can exist between two people who have nothing in common but can be absolutely unified by the Spirit of God. And because we're filled with the Spirit of God, every believer filled with the Spirit of God, when we pray, 
by the Spirit of God. We pray in unison at all times. Even when you pray, if you were to go into the darkest corner of the world and begin to pray, if you were to pray by the Spirit of God, you would be praying the very same heart of God as the believer that was in a crowded room, and you would be praying in absolute unison. There is no such thing for the believer as individualistic prayer. We can pray alone, but we always pray unified and together. We always pray as the church. Isn't this a wonderful thing? Let me think about it. The Spirit of God is not divided. The Spirit of God is not divided. And so as He lives in and resides in us, as He intercedes and helps us pray, when we pray, we pray in absolute unison to the heart of God. The Spirit of God will also never pray against the will of God. Isn't that a wonderful promise? The Spirit of God is never going to contradict the will of God. In fact, He's the one that makes the will of God even known to us as we pray. And so if we pray in the Spirit of God, not only will we be praying the same thing, but in praying the same thing, we will be praying according to the heart, will, and intent of our Father God. And we will be doing that uh, with with one voice. So praying corporately, praying together, is a thing that we do all the time. Now, I will say, uh, only when we pray according to the Spirit. I believe that we can pray in our flesh all day long, that we can pray according to just our wants, our desires, and I don't believe that there's any power in that. Do I believe that God doesn't hear you? No, I, don't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that God doesn't hear you, but I'm saying I think the power in prayer, as the Scripture teaches, the power in prayer is when we submit to the Spirit of God who is in us, who prays according to the heart, will, and intent of God, and that's where there's power and where there's unity. If you and I were to begin to pray for the things that we wanted today, how many things would be lifted up in this room? Quite a variety, right? Quite a variety. But if we were to pray, if we were to take time and submit to the Spirit of God, uh, we would pray in unison. So uh, we don't always pray physically together, but I want to talk about when when we do. Go to John chapter 17. I want you to see Jesus really quickly. I want you to see his heart for unity and how he has brought unity. And then I want to talk about why we do actually gather in the same room and pray. Why is this a community discipline? And we've got a little case study for that. So John chapter 17, here's what Jesus purchased. Here's this unity that he purchased. Now this is probably titled in your Bibles, the high priestly prayer. Uh, If you want to get on the same page, praying for the same things, living for the same things that Jesus desired, this is a great place to Start. So look at verse 6. Now I'm going to read several verses, so please stay on track. We're going to start in verse 6. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words you gave me, and they received them, and have come to uh, know in the truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. This is Jesus obviously praying. He says in verse 9, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be, what? One Now look at what he compares it to. Even as we are one. Now how unified are the Father and the Son? 
You think there's any division? But he prays specifically. Now, we know he's talking about us. He says, I'm praying for the ones that you have given me. And even the ones that don't know you yet, he's going to say it in a minute, even the ones that don't know you yet through me, these I'm including also. He's praying for the ones, uh, he's praying for us. He's praying for the ones that would come under the banner of Jesus Messiah. And he says, I pray that they would be one as we are one. He doesn't say, I pray that they would be one as man defines unity. He says, as we are one. As there's absolute unity, I pray for that same absolute unity in the church. It says in verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Speaking of Judas here, he says, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be One, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one. So that, remember, this exclusivity is, in, is for the purpose of his name in the nation. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you see the heart of Jesus for unity? If you were to draw out his themes, his main points in this high priestly prayer, the thing that he prays for the most, the thing that he reiterates the most is unity in the body of Christ. He says it three or four times just in the section that we read. His desire is for unity. And again, not just unity. We all wear the same t-shirt and sing the same song. He's talking about a deeper unity. He makes the comparison between him and the Father. And he even goes a step further and says, I in them and you in me, right? That's deep unity to be within and a part of something. Well, we are the what of Christ. We're the body of Christ. And who is the head of the church? Jesus, is the head disconnected from the body? It's one, it's unified. Our unity comes in our submission to the Lord Jesus and he by his spirit in us creates perfect and absolute unity. Go to Acts chapter four. So we know that the heart of Jesus is for unity, that he's given us the possibility, and I, I want to just encourage you, sometimes I think we talk about this and we go, yeah, but whatever, how's that going to happen? There's no way that that's going to happen, and we look at circumstances, we look at failures of the church, and instead of letting these words create our theology, we let our failures 
and our interpretations of what we see going on create our theology. Can I just encourage you? Never let failure, never let failure shape your theology. Never let brokenness shape your theology. This is what has to create in us the solid foundation of truth. If Jesus prayed for absolute unity in the body, then even though my eyes don't see it occurring in certain spheres, I cannot assume that the words of Jesus were wrong. I cannot assume that he meant something else, right? How many times do we do that? We go, man, I'm not seeing this happen in my life. I'm not seeing this happen in the church. So maybe Jesus meant something else. Maybe he didn't really mean one. Maybe that's just metaphorical. Maybe it's for another age. Maybe it's for another day. How could that be true when he just said, I'm going to leave them in the world and unify them? Why do we build new theology around failure? Don't do it. Don't build theology around failure. Don't twist these words to conform to your experience. Wait on the Lord until your experience conforms with his truth. You with me? Pray until you see that day. Acts chapter 4. You guys all right? Spencer, you're the only one that ever answers me there. Where you at, man? You all right? Okay. That's real bad. When my one guy that's always all right doesn't answer, we're in trouble. (laughs) Acts chapter 4. So we're going to... Just kind of have a a bit of a case study here. Now, I will tell you, we have studied this before. So um, some of this may be a a repeat of information, but I felt like this was really the best picture for looking at um, community uh, prayer. So we're going to be in Acts 4. Uh, I'm going to specifically look at verse 23 through, uh, through 31. But just to give you an idea of what's going on, this is right after... Uh, the believers were first filled with the Holy Spirit. And some wild things happened. This is uh, right after uh, Pentecost. And so um, things are just have just been absolutely turned over in the Jewish world. Jesus has been crucified. He's appeared to more than 500 witnesses. The Holy Spirit has come. And now this movement uh, that Jesus ignited... Uh, this, this movement is really starting to annoy people. In fact, the scripture actually says that, uh, that they were greatly annoyed. Uh, the, the religious elite were greatly annoyed with some of the disciples. So at this point, many had believed. The numbers uh, are, are, are staggering. There's over 5,000 men who had, who had believed. We don't know what this means in terms of, uh, of families, but the number is certainly much greater than 5,000. So uh, in a matter of days, the gospel is sweeping this area, and, uh, and again, the religious elite are uh, not knowing what to do. They're scrambling, and so uh, they bring the disciples in, and it says that they can't figure it out. I love this. Uh, they can't figure out what's going on because these are just normal guys. These are just average guys. What is going on? These are just average guys. And it says that, that Peter stands and full of the Holy Spirit, he gives this condemning address but basically says all of what you've seen here is happening because of Jesus. This is all happening because of Jesus uh, of Nazareth, who you crucified, who we crucified, and, uh, and this is what's going on. And so they begin to threaten them. The religious elite kind of gather, and they go, what are we going to do about these guys if we throw them in jail? This, it's going to be trouble for us. What do we do? Uh, maybe we just need to release them. So they release them, and this is, this is where we're going to catch up uh, in verse 23. 
So basically, this is a group of simple, normal men and women filled with the Holy Spirit and willing to give everything to Jesus. And we're going to look at what happened in their community. So um, let's see if I can give you some context. Go to 18 of of chapter 4. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They didn't know what to do. I love this. They didn't know what to do. And so they just said, quit saying his name. Just stop with that Jesus character. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you've got to judge. I love that response. Uh, For we cannot speak of what we have, uh, we, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed uh, was more than 40 years old. That's what sparked the whole controversy, um, was this healing of this man. So they let them go after tremendous threat. And look at verse 23. When they were released, they went to where? Right? When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to break down 23 through 31 as why do we have corporate prayer? Why do we come together and pray? What do you notice is the very first thing? How do they define it? They didn't say they went to the prayer meeting. They didn't say they went to the Baptist church down the road, which there was not one, but they would have gone if there was. But <laughs> just kidding. Ta-da. Okay. Where does it say they went? They went to their Friends. You see, we read past that quickly. Just an assumption. But what a profound shift that would be if when we gathered together, we gathered with friends. Now, I I know that we think sometimes, well, of course, that's what I'm doing. Can't you tell I'm friends with this person? I sit within four chairs of them. Of course we're friends, right? But... This, this didn't have all the clutter of, uh, of religion that we have now. And I think sometimes in some of the clutter, the programs, the do's and the don'ts, we lose the essence of what God has given us together. And that's this, this unbelievable friendship. And he says that he, they came and they were with friends. They went immediately to their friends. They reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And listen to this, and when they heard it, so, I mean, this is, a, this is a dramatic moment. It says, when they heard it, they lifted their voices separately in their own corners. That's not what it says, silly pastor guy. <laughs> and when they heard it, they lifted their voices where? Together. They lifted their voices together to God and said, and here, here we go, look, there's immediately, there's corporate prayer. There's unified corporate prayer. They're together with friends. This isn't a, a formal gathering. They've been praying and, and desiring for uh, the release of these disciples. And, the, and it says when they reported it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and listen to what they say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Where do they begin their prayer? They begin their prayer in what? In worship. Do you think they're just buttering God up? Did you ever do that as a kid? 
Mom, you look so beautiful today. Can I go to John's house? <laughs> right? You ever did, nobody ever did that? Nobody ever tried that tactic, buttering somebody up? Yeah, come on, guys. We're, that's a childhood 101 strategy. Come on. Do you think that's what they're doing to God? You think they're going, oh, sovereign Lord. Okay, give us what, some other words, you know. Let's, let's, get, let's think of some other wonderful adjectives that we can, because surely if we'll butter the Lord up enough, he'll respond. Absolutely not. These aren't words of buttering God up. These are words of worship. They begin even, even in a day of trouble. They begin in worship. They begin in worship by declaring who God is. Do you notice that it's a submission? Again, here, worship is a submission. So the prayer, prayer and worship are tied together. They can never be separated. They can never, ever, ever be separated. Prayer and worship are together. So they begin their prayer in worship, and it brings unity. Why do you think we pray, and, or why do you think we worship um, and pray in life group? What does worship do for us collectively? No matter how you came in here this morning, when we worship, we're acknowledging who God is. It brings right perspective and it brings unity in the room. No matter what, we all come in with different situations, with different things that are on our minds, but when we worship together, we collectively, unified, are acknowledging who God is and that is what they also are doing here. This keeps their perspective right. And notice what happens from their right perspective. What do they then begin to do? They begin to quote the scriptures. They begin to draw off of the things that God has already said. I want to tell you, I think when we don't begin in worship, it is very easy for us to begin to pray in the flesh. That's why worship and prayer are so tied together because worship is submission and if we don't submit to the spirit of God as we pray we'll pray in the flesh and so as they worship they do it corporately they do it together they lift their voices now I'm not sure if Jason was there with a guitar I don't think so it didn't say anything about it here Worship doesn't have to happen with with music in that moment, but they lift their voices, they worship, and when they get on the same page in worship, they begin to pray according to the will of God. You with me? They begin to pray according to the will of God because they've been brought into right perspective and the scriptures uh, serve as fuel for their prayer together. Why is it important that we pray according to the scripture? Go ahead. Somebody. It's the heart of God. Yeah, it's easy. You want to know how to pray according to the will of God? Just pray this stuff back to him. This isn't a, I, I, I love it. A pastor friend of mine said, we've got to stop viewing the Bible as a daily guidebook for living. Or what do we, there's some acronym that we use for that. It's not. You're not going to, you're not going to find your day in here. I'm sorry. There's no day for you in here. There's no final exams and that that doesn't work that way. It's not the, it's not the genie Bible that we open up and we go, okay, what do I do today? This is where God has revealed his heart, will, and intent. This is where we get to know the character of God, who he is and how he relates to his people. This is one of the primary ways in which by the spirit, we get to know the character and the person of God. And if you know God, then you can easily apply who he is to the situation that you're in. 
I made that mistake all through my young Christian life. I thought I could just find somebody that was going through something similar. And I'm not saying that's all wrong. Sometimes there's people that have parallel situations. But this is a different culture, different day. You're going to be hard-pressed to find somebody studying for final exams in here. Right? You're going to be hard-pressed finding somebody struggling with a career change. But you know, what you, you know who you do find in here? You find the God of all the universe. You find his character, his nature revealed. You find his heart, his will, and his intent, and it applies today. And so it gives them fuel for praying into their current situation. You see the difference there? All right. Okay. Look at verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles uh, and the peoples of Israel. So here's where the application begins. Here's where they begin to apply into their current situation. He says, uh, along with the Gentiles, peoples of Israel, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do you see it? So the beginning is worship. The second piece is acknowledging what God has already said, who he is. They pray according to the scripture. And this gives them proper application for their present situation. I got to save that one. That one rhymed. That's very Baptist of me. But do you understand, that perspective at the beginning gives them the ability to apply uh, into their present situation. And notice how they pray. See, if they hadn't worshipped before, if they hadn't acknowledged what God had done before, what might they have prayed in the midst of persecution? God, get us out of this. Surely you didn't mean to do this. Surely you didn't mean to turn all of Israel against us. Surely you didn't see these threats coming. Is that really what you meant? And they might have prayed, God, get us out of this. But instead, their perspective, their right perspective, because of their worship and their praying according to the scriptures, their perspective gives them this prayer. That we would continue in what? What do they ask for? We would remain in boldness. To continue to speak your name. They ask for boldness in the midst of persecution. They ask for obedience and who do they ask to do the work this is also evidence of right perspective and they say for God to do the work they say let us continue in boldness and they don't pray in the flesh let us continue in boldness so that we might do wonderful things they ask for one thing God give us boldness and strength really to continue in obedience their heart is for one thing we just want to be strong to do what you've asked us to do because we know that if we'll remain you're going to do whatever it is you want to do in and through us it's not our job to do the work he said they say while you stretch out your hand and heal not while we come up with great ideas and do ministry just give us the boldness to do what you've asked us to do because we know that obedience releases the power of god in our sphere of influence do you know that do you know that obedience releases the power of God in your sphere of influence? That if your heart will be for one thing, God, just uh, give me strength and boldness to be obedient. 
And in your obedience, I promise you, you will see God stretch out his hand to heal and to save. Your obedience releases the power of God in your sphere of influence. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I love those words. What is so wonderful about that? It says the place was shaken. What an incredible, dramatic event. Don't get too drawn to that. Um, that's not, I mean, that's a, that's a crazy cool thing. But look what it says after. The place was shaken, but what was the more powerful? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, remember last week or two weeks ago, and well, really, and last week, we talked about how worship is a key to being filled with the Spirit. Talked about how every believer has in them the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but that it is necessary for us each day, each moment, to be being filled with the Spirit. It's a present and continuing action to be being filled with the Spirit. And the way that that works is us submitting to God, us allowing the Holy Spirit. I said it this way, to let the Holy Spirit have all of you, right? He's in us, let him have all of you. And in that, we are filled with the Spirit. That's why worship is tied to being filled with the Spirit. Worship is submission, acknowledging God. There's a filling of the Spirit that comes in that. But notice what also happens. As they pray, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. As they pray, why is that? Why is worship, remember worship and prayer go hand in hand. Why do we see worship and filling with the Spirit as well as prayer and the filling of the Spirit? What do we know about their prayer? Their prayer was in what? Submission to God. Their prayer was already fueled by worship and submission. And so as they prayed and they asked according to what God desired to give, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us and teaches us to pray in his name. And I think a lot of times, and I'm certainly guilty of this, sometimes we just use that as a tagline. That just means the prayer's coming to a close. That's how you know how to tell everybody I'm almost done here, right? In the name of Jesus. And everybody's like, okay, they're done praying finally, right? That's not the way that works. Contextually, that's not what that meant. To say in the name of, if I were to say in the name of Whitney, I would be saying to do business, like as if I am Whitney. If I were to go to a store and say, I'm buying this in the name of Whitney Johnson, it would be I'm purchasing it on her account, as if I'm her. It's the same concept. Jesus said, pray in my names, not to tag me on the end of every prayer to get what you want, to pray for the things that I would pray, to pray according to my heart and my will. And notice what happens is they pray according to the will of God. They're filled with the Spirit. Wouldn't it be wonderful to just pray for the things that God already wants to give you? We spend most of our time in prayer kicking and screaming against God's will. God, will you just please get on the same page with me? Here's what I want, God. Conform your will now. <laughs> Anybody ever prayed like that? Yeah. We do it all the time. That's not what prayer's for. There's an element of prayer, and it's a small element of prayer. There's an element of prayer where, where it is absolute, authentic expression of our soul before God. And that, in that environment is right and good to express your emotions, your thoughts before the Lord. I'm not saying that you don't do that, but that's not the 
totality of prayer. Prayer was given as a gift. For those of us that are filled with the Spirit, as we submit to the Spirit in prayer, prayer is the gift that allows us to know what God wants, what God is thinking, what God is doing. Prayer gets us on the same page with God, not God on the same page with us. That's the gift of prayer. And so what they do, the reason that prayer and worship are tied together, as they worship, they're getting on the same page with God. Do you see? It's like momentum. It's like a snowball effect. They begin to worship. And their fear, the things that are happening in the present moment, they fade away as they worship. And then they begin to pray according to the will of God. And then things begin to happen. I think that's a pretty simple equation. This is what's designed to occur. When we come together corporately, we've got to come together and start in worship and then begin to pray according to the will of God. And what better way to do it than to quote back to God what he's already said? What better way to pray according to his will than to find fuel here, which is exactly what they do. And as they pray in submission, they're filled with the Spirit. And what happened? Shocker they continued to speak the word of God in boldness. What did they just ask for? Anybody want their prayer life to look like that? Anybody want a prayer meeting, a church prayer meeting to look like that? Where the things you pray actually happen? Then this has got to become the design. Then prayer and worship have to again be wed together. And when we come together as a corporate body, we've got to seek the will of the Lord and pray according to his will and then apply to our situation, but only as we worship. And I promise you, the same Holy Spirit that filled each of those believers is the one that is alive and ready to burst forth in you and in me and unite us in our prayer and do incredible things in our midst. This was not a special day. This was a beginning. And we live in the wake of what began here. We have the same opportunity, the same Holy Spirit. Prayer is another way that we submit to God and are filled with the Spirit. So God, that's what we ask. We ask that you would teach us to be a people who pray according to your will. First, God, make us friends. That struck me, that stirred me so deep when, you, when that passage said that they came to their friends. The people in this room are not an obligation. The people in this room are not happenstance people that we happen to come to church with. These are our friends. And these are our friends who have been purchased with the same blood that I've been purchased with. So God, give us deep friendship in this room. And I pray that as our friendship is based in your blood, the friendship is based in the filling of the Holy Spirit, that we would come together and we would worship. And when we worship, we would pray. And when we pray, you would respond. God, that's what we ask for. Teach us to do it. Get us out of the way. Get our junk our stuff, our clutter, out of the way. God, we want to see you move. We want to see the room shake. 
But more than anything, God, we want to be filled with the Spirit. And we want to continue to speak your word in boldness. In Jesus' name, amen.